Shabbat Shalom. Now let's turn to Romans chapter 14. Ha'igeret um, of Shel Shaul al Haromim. Romans chapter 14. We're coming to the end of this epistle as Rav Shaul writes to this kahila that he's never been to in Rome. And throughout this epistle, he has underscored the importance of both the Jewish and the non-Jewish members of this kahila respecting one another, understanding that despite the vastly different backgrounds from what they come from, they have nevertheless come to Yeshua the same way. And they are united in their faith and in their love for him, and especially from chapter 12 following, how they ought to be united in their love one for another. And so in Romans chapter 12, Rav Shaul talks about how they are one body together. In chapter 13, he reminds them about how they ought to be in submission uh, one to another and as a community respecting one another. But now, in chapter 14, some very interesting issues come to the fore. And really, when we look at chapter 14, we might be tempted to jump to conclusions what it's talking about. But it's actually talking about issues that were very real 2,000 years ago in Rome. Issues that the average believer could not escape from. They were challenges in life. Challenges that sought to tear the congregation apart as they came to their different answers as how to meet those challenges. And when we put it in that framework, when we look at it in terms of the larger picture, we see that even today we run into challenges in our life as believers today that can threaten to tear us apart. Different believers come to solve the same problem from different perspectives, with different convictions, and with different answers. And we can very easily tear ourselves apart over these issues. And Rav Shaul talks to us, and he gives us a way out of these terribly divisive problems that we face even today among believers in general of all different uh, stripes or denominations and also as Messianic believers in our kehilas, in the Messianic movement. So let's read the first four verses. Romans 14, verse 1. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of disputes about opinions. One person has faith to eat anything, but the weak eats only vegetables. Don't let the one who eats disparage the one who does not eat, and don't let the one who does not eat judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another's servant? Before his own master, he stands or falls. Yes, he shall stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. 
when you first read this, you wonder, who is the weak brother or sister? And who is the strong brother or sister? The language is not unfamiliar to the days of the Romans. Back in, um, in Roman or Greek literature, there is an incident where two people run across each other, and in their discussion, one of them says to the other, I am the weaker brother. I am the somewhat weaker brother who does not wish to offend the circumcised Jews. And he puts himself in a position in this ancient quotation from Horace of being someone who is maybe more scrupulous about certain matters that maybe are questionable and that could be of offense to other people. Another perspective that maybe jumps to mind as we look at these verses is immediately the ongoing issue of kashrut in our communities. And various Jewish believers keep different levels of kashrut, as do non-Jewish believers. Some keep glat kosher. I've got a friend in London who keeps glat kosher. That is beyond the normal standard of kashrut or kosher food that the community in general keeps. It is an extremely high standard. The Lubavitch movement is um, known for their adherence to glat kashrut. They are very strict in how they observe kosher laws, not simply what we find in the Torah, not simply what we find in Halakha, the Jewish discussions about it and conclusions about how to keep kosher, but beyond that. And we think maybe maybe glad kosher. There are others who keep biblically kosher who, like myself, will, will look at the Torah and say, all right, let's take a more reasonable approach based on simply the Torah itself. And there are others who will say, kashrut has nothing to do with me. I think you could put, um, well, the president of Chosen People Ministries once sat in front of me eating his lobster and reading to me out of Acts, uh, where Peter saw the sheet coming down with all kinds of unclean animals, trying to uh, make a point that he could eat his lobster. Uh, I wasn't particularly... um, Impressed, although I love this man and think of him as a friend. Um, some people don't think kashrut applies to them at all. And we might be tempted to think this is what this passage speaks about. And in fact, it does, but only in a secondary sense. Because what Rav Shaul is really talking about in Romans chapter 14 is the same issue that he is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where he is talking about food offered to idols. And so, here we see in Romans chapter 14, one person has faith to eat anything. There are people who believe and are absolutely convinced in their mind that idols and idolatry, and they're right, is absolutely a sham and means nothing. And they're right. But there are other people who eat only vegetables. They are going to avoid any foods 
that might possibly be contaminated by Jewish by by uh, idol worship. Jewish people to this day are, are very careful to avoid any food that could in any way be contaminated by idol worship. So, for example, since wine in ancient days and in some circles today is poured out before the gods. So you have a bottle of wine, and in, in an idol-worshipping home, someone will pour out a little bit of that wine before the gods. Or maybe the winemaker, when he's got his cask of wine, will dribble out a little for an offering to the gods, therefore sanctifying all that wine to idol worship. A Jewish person, to this day, if they are kosher, will not drink wine that is not kosher because of the fear that possibly somewhere along that line, someone might have taken some of the wine while it was in production and offered it to idols. And I don't want anything to do, the Jewish person will tell you, and rightly so, I think, with idol worshipers. So the religious, if you're sitting at the table, not only does the bottle have to be kosher wine, but the person who opens that bottle needs to be a Jewish person. So everything from the time the grape was picked to the time the bottle is opened is under Jewish supervision. You get the same thing with matzah. You might have noticed that some matzah is good for Passover and some is good for the whole year. But that's only the tip of it. The stuff that's good for, the, for Passover is very carefully um, made within 18 minutes so there's absolutely no yeast in it. But the reason we have what is called shmura matzah is to make sure that it has been made according to the highest standards and only under Jewish supervision, because this is such a critical thing to celebrate this Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, to some people, that sounds ridiculous, but you put it in the context of what Paul is saying here, and he's very familiar with these sentiments, even though some of these halakot, these rules that Jewish people follow to this day, have not necessarily been decided and settled. He's familiar with that world of thought. I don't want anything to do with idolatry. And there are people in the congregation, and I'm not sure that they are even Jewish people, but there are people in the congregation in Rome who are saying, I will not have anything to do with idolatry. And even though I know that there is only one God and there are no other gods, even though I know that, I am not going to have anything to do with idolatry and to make sure that my meat and that my wine has not in any way been tainted by idolatry, I will have none of it. This is what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and I think it's verse 7. Rav Shaul has just said there is one God, the Father, in verse 6 from whom are all things, and we exist for him. His argument in 1 Corinthians 8 is so similar to Romans chapter 14. 
But in verse 7, he says, but that knowledge that idols are, not, are, are nothing and that all things are only through God is not in everyone. Some, so accustomed to idols up until now, eat food as an idol sacrifice, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So he's talking about the weak consciences. But food will not bring us before God. Uh, um, we are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do eat. Rav Shaul knows it doesn't, you know, nothing magical has happened to the food when someone has offered it to a God that doesn't exist. But he's very aware of the sensitivities. Watch out that this freedom of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For suppose someone sees you who have this knowledge dining in an idol's temple. If his conscience is weak, won't he be emboldened to eat idol sacrifices? And there you have the same argument and the same context as in Rome. The city is dotted with temples. There are People offering sacrifices to the God. There is gods. There are no way you, there's no way you can go to the market, buy meat, and not be sure uh, and, and, and be certain that it has not been offered to idols. It's not particularly a Jewish issue. It's an, it's an issue for anyone who wants to avoid any taint of idol worship. And there are people in Rome who have lived and grown up worshiping idols. And temples in those days were not just places where you went and did some ceremony, but they were places where people would eat. This is where, where events took place and where the communities would gather. And they were used to this, this setting for idolatry. And now they had come to know the Almighty God and they want their lives to be entirely devoted to them, to God. They don't want their lives to be distracted by anything else. And God has accepted this person, we read in verse chapter 3. And so the one who thinks that this doesn't matter to him at all, the person who is so strong in their faith that, that really it doesn't bother them. This is, you know, it's all fiction anyway. That person is not to judge the person who is scrupulous in their following of God. And it's a lesson to us. There are issues where we may say, you know, kashrut, someone might say, to me, is not such a big deal. Well, that might be fine for that person. But certainly, they are not to judge those who have taken on a higher level of kashrut. This is the first issue. It's not particularly a Jewish issue. It's to do with avoiding idolatry. The second issue is starting in verse 5. This is to do, it seems, with holy days, Shabbos, and other days during the year. One person esteems one day over another while another judges every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. 
The one who observes that day does so to the Lord. The one who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And the one who abstains, abstains to the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for himself, and none dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Here, Rav Shaul is not saying where he stands on the issue of Shabbat. He's not saying where he stands on the issue of holy days. We can assume that those who are Jews keep Shabbat and keep the Moedim, the, the holy days and the festivals. That's, that's almost a given in that context. But there are people who judge one another based on these things. There are people who have different opinions about these things. But Rav Shaul brings up something that's very important for us as believers and for us as a Keilah. None of us lives to himself. No one dies to themselves. Verse 7, we live for the Lord. He, Yeshua, is our Lord through all eternity. He died to be Lord of those who have died. He lives to be Lord of those who are alive. He is our Lord, and he is the one for whom we have devoted our entire existence. He is the Lord of both the dead and the living. We will all give an account to God, Rav Shaul says in verse, verse 11. As I live, says Adonai, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. It should be no surprise to us if we are to go back to Isaiah chapter 45, that the context actually is very fitting for the issue that Rav Shaul is addressing. Isaiah chapter 45, starting at verse 20. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, fugitives of the nations. Those who carry their wooden idols have no knowledge, praying to a God who cannot save. Declare and present your case. Indeed, let them consult together, who foretold this from ancient time? Who has declared it of old? Is it not I, Adonai? There is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved to all the ends of the earth, for I am God. There is no other. By myself I have sworn, my, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and is irrevocable that to me every knee will bow, every tongue will swear, and they will say of me only in Adonai is righteousness and strength. The context is the context of idolatry, of faithfulness to the Lord. The context is somewhat the same in Isaiah and here in Romans chapter 14. Every knee shall bow, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And Rav Shaul reminds us, just as he does elsewhere in the Brit Chadasha, 
that at his name every knee shall bow and every tongue shall give praise to God. There's a um, tradition, a story about Shammai the elder. And we know the difference between Shammai and Hillel. Modern Judaism typically takes the position of Hillel in almost every issue where there was a discussion about how do we live in Halacha. But there's a story that Shammai the elder, all his life, ate in honor of the Shabbat. So if he found a well-favored animal, he said, let's keep that animal for Shabbat. So we'll have good meat, especially for Shabbat. If he found a better one, he would put that one aside and eat uh, the first and keep the one he set aside for the Shabbat. Hillel, the elder, had a different approach. And he said, um, all of my works are for the sake of heaven. And he quoted Psalm 68 and verse 19. Blessed be the Lord day by day. Both of them wanted to honor the Shabbat, but the lesson in, that, in this story is simply that here you have two different people. They have their different approaches to how they might honor the Lord. They have a different mindset, but in a sense, both are right. And we can honor the Lord with various convictions and with various ways of um, addressing problems and still bring glory to him. Each of us will stand before God. We shall each give an account to the Lord. And so the lesson is that we ought to respect one another. Let each of your deeds, they say, be for heaven's sake. No matter what we are doing, we live for the Lord. Let's turn to the third and last section in this chapter. This starts at verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another from now on, but rather decide this, not to put a stumbling block or a trap in the way of a brother, and we could say, or sister. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Yeshua that nothing is unholy in itself, but it is unholy for the one who considers it unholy. For if your brother is grieved on account of food, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by your food the one for whom Messiah died. We need to live not just for ourselves. We need to be aware of the impact that our actions have upon other people. And there are things that we do in our lives that can offend other people or can encourage other people to live in ways that would violate their own conscience, even if those deeds are not necessarily um, I, sin in themselves. And so, Rav Shaul is giving us this picture the same picture as we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. What if the brother or sister who has a real problem with idolatry and, and who it somehow might affect them to see you sitting in that temple and eating 
with others. What if you are right? And really, those gods are nothing, so it's nothing really to do that. It's no big deal to you. But think about your brother. Think about your sister. It's going to affect them. Maybe we face this in going to certain restaurants. You know, certain restaurants, they have a a little altar at the back of the restaurant. And you know that a little bit of the food that you eat has gone on to that altar. Um, Are you going to consider the effects that your actions have uh, in going to such restaurants? These issues are live even in our day. If your brother is grieved on account of food, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by your food the one for whom Messiah died. It comes down to an issue that affects the way in which we live in our communities. Um, I find personally, on a personal level, level, the most dangerous place for me to eat food, of all places, because I keep biblically kosher, is a church. Because someone will tell you, eat that, it's kosher, and then you find out, no, there's something in it that's not at all. Um, You have to be so careful. And we need to be careful that we look after one another. That's why we make make sure that our food downstairs includes no, no shellfish. It includes no pork. And yet, at the same time, we're not going to represent to someone else that what we have is kosher according to Jewish standards because that might cause misunderstanding. It's not fully kosher according to rabbinic standards, but at the least, we are avoiding those things that are causing offense. This is something that's even done in Reformed synagogues. Reformed Jews don't necessarily believe the scriptures at all. But you go to an oneg after a service in a Reformed synagogue, you will never see any trafe on the table. It's a respect so that others are not bothered, others are not distressed. We might say this is unnecessary. Um, it's, it's not an issue. But even in ancient times, there's a rabbi called Rabbi Yochanan who said regarding the issue of cleanliness and corpses, for example, you, according to the scripture, you can become unclean by touching a corpse. And this rabbi, Yochanan, says, By your lives, I swear, the corpse does not have the power by itself to defile. And on the same score, neither does the mixture of ash and water have the power in itself to cleanse. But what really matters is that God said certain things are unclean. And God said certain things are cleansing. Everything revolves around God. And if we want to honor God, we are going to honor one another. We're going to be careful in how we treat one another in these areas. So when we um, offer hospitality, when we talk to one another, and in the ways in which we uh, conduct our lives, we avoid those things that might cause offense and drag other people into making decisions about their lives that might drag them into things that violate their conscience and cause them to sin. This is what Rav Shaul says in verse 19. 
So then, let us pursue what makes for shalom and for the building up of one another. Stop tearing down the work of God for the sake of food. Indeed, all things are clean. He's saying what this rabbi said. But wrong for the man who by eating causes stumbling. It is good not to eat milk, meat, or drink wine, or do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith you have, keep it to yourself by God, before God. How fortunate is the one who does not condemn himself for what he approves. But the one who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because it is not of faith. And whatever is not of faith is sin. So there are a couple different applications that we can take out of this for ourselves in our own lives. There are sometimes things in our own lives that we might actually intellectually be able to say, you know, that's probably not sin. But to do it feels wrong. We know it's wrong. And to do that is not of faith. In fact, it is sin. So if you're a Gentile and you believe that you should keep Shabbat, keep Shabbat. Do not violate your conscience. Um, that's a lesson for ourselves, individually. But if, uh, the, the other lesson is, if you see that there is an issue where your conduct might affect the way another person behaves and might cause another person to somehow stumble, don't do it. It's worth restricting our own behavior so that others might not be led into sin. I've never been one to attend uh, clubs at night. That has never been part of my lifestyle. I grew up, as you can imagine, the kind of home I grew up in, um, a conservative home where, where this was not part of life. But I remember years ago attending a, a uh, club in Montreal because I was with friends. And I thought, wow, I can do this. There's nothing wrong with it. But later on, the realization came to me, you know, there were people there for whom attendance at a nightclub, it was on the river at night, it was kind of nice, you know, it wasn't anything heavy or wild. But, but for some people, that can lead them into sin. Why do it? Why should we be doing those things, even though it might be fine for us? that would lead other people into a place where they would do something wrong. And that's a, it's a lesson. Sometimes we learn by doing something we shouldn't have done. And that was my, my experience in that case. It wasn't necessarily wrong for me to attend, but it was wrong for me to do so in a way that could affect other believers in our Messiah and, and possibly lead them astray. We need to be willing to live whether we eat or drink, as Rav Shaul says, or whatever we do for his glory. Because our pleasure, our eating or drinking, is not just for us, but whether whatever we do, it is for the Lord. Let's pray. Avinu Sheva Shamayim, we thank you that we can come here this morning. We can worship you. We thank you for your Torah. We thank you for the... Um, Revelation of Torah in Yeshua, our Messiah. 
and the words concerning him in the Brit Hadashah. Father, we pray that we might be worthy of him who laid aside all glory and all the freedom he had in eternity to confine himself to a human body and to live by the laws that you had given to the people of Israel. Not for his own sake, but so that the whole world might come to faith in you through him. Father, we pray that we might be able to follow in his example, willing to restrict ourselves if necessary to bring glory to him and emulate his, own, his example. And Father, we pray that everything that we do might be done in a clean conscience and that we might be those who are able to live um, for you in every single respect. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen.